Well, next weekend is Thanksgiving, and uh, we would love to have you come join us, especially if you're local, on Sunday, October the 10th at 10.30 a.m. here at 611 King Street West. We're celebrating our 75th anniversary, looking back with gratitude and leaning into the future with confidence. Uh, we're hosting uh, Dr. Wayne and Ann Hilsden from Jerusalem. It's going to be a wonderful time of celebrating all that God has done through our church over the last 75 years. So uh, head over to kingstreet.org. You'll see at the very top of our homepage, you can click on the black banner so you can register and reserve your spot. We've got food trucks coming. There'll be a, a photo timeline, some special video elements to our worship gathering. It's going to be a, a good way of celebrating not just the Thanksgiving weekend, but celebrating all the really, really cool things God has been doing in our church community and through our church community over the last number of decades. So we'll hope to see you next Sunday in person. Uh, we're finishing a series that we started just a few weeks ago called Decisions, Decisions. And uh, if you're with us at the very beginning, you um, um, walked with us through this idea of what it looks like for us to make good decisions. Every one of us wants to get up, get out of bed every day and make good decisions. And we reminded ourselves that consistently reading God's word, listening for the prompting of the spirit, and staying well connected to the people of God really gives us a leg up as it relates to making good decisions in life. And then we talked about what to do after making a poor decision. And uh, we learned from our first ancestors that when we've made a poor decision, uh, our human instinct is to um, hide from God and from one another and cover ourselves. And fear and shame tend to not bring the best out of us after we've made a poor choice. And, uh, and then also we have a tendency to blame others and uh, avoid taking responsibility. So we want to be the kinds of people who, after making a re regrettable decision, run to Jesus and allow him to restore us and, uh, again, recommission us into service. And then last week we talked about um, how do we respond after experiencing a hurtful choice or experiencing a hurtful decision from another person. And um, we, we learned last week from looking at the life of Joseph that uh, painful hurts, they're real, not imaginary. They happen to all of us. And when we alter our perspective and maintain it, uh, again, acquiring a God perspective to the circumstances of our lives, um, and then choosing at some point on the journey, hopefully sooner than later, though some disappointments and, and, and pain can be severe, hopefully at some point early on, we'll learn how to forgive so that we can set ourselves free and then also position ourselves for potential reconciliation with, uh, with others. And uh, this has been a week our country has been observing uh, the first national um, celebration, so to speak, of truth and reconciliation. And uh, these are biblical principles. Um, we are people of truth and God is using the church to invite the world to be reconciled to himself through Christ. But we're also mindful of the painful experience of the indigenous peoples and the pain they've endured. And so uh, we celebrate those kingdom values and we also recognize the pain of our brothers and sisters who have been mistreated over the years. And so uh, we, we join our country uh, this week by observing those really important values of both truth and reconciliation, try to embody them in our own life and encourage our neighbors to do likewise. So um, we're finishing up the series today and we're gonna talk about a spirituality of small decisions. And our passage to ponder remains the same from Proverbs chapter 19, verses two and three, it goes like this. Enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes mistakes, 
people ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. And so again, emotionally charged moments in our life are probably not the best times for us to make fork in the road decisions. And we want to be mindful of our emotional um, capacity um, and the, the feelings we're experiencing when we're making decisions. We want to pay attention to that. We also don't want to be rushed or hurried to make decisions that we might later regret because the pace was too fast. And so uh, haste makes mistakes. We want to slow them down and regulate our decision-making process. And then also when we're on the other side of a decision and it hasn't turned out well, uh, it's important that we face uh, all the factors involved in decision-making and take responsibility and an appropriate level of ownership and, and not be the kinds of people who cast blame on others and, and ultimately on God for the decisions we've made along the way. So a spirituality of small decisions is really another way of saying that all of life is supercharged with opportunities to know and love God and to honor and glorify him as well. So today we're going to gently erase the line between uh, what has been often coined as the, um, the, the gap or the distance between the secular and the sacred or the secular and the spiritual. We just want to gently um, erase that line so that we can see that all of life has the potential to be spiritual, opportunities to choose what's good, beautiful, and best, and to honor God in the little things. And um, we want to avoid the silo mentality where we compartmentalize our lives. There's our financial life and our relational life and our, our spiritual life, our work life. We actually want to see all of it as our spiritual life. It's not just a category, but all of life has the potential to be spiritual. And so um, we're going to talk about a spirituality of small decisions. Uh, Christian Schwartz wrote this in a book um, called Natural Church Development. He said, healthy things grow and growing things change. And so it's really important that we pursue health in every area of our lives because healthy things will eventually grow. And when we're growing, there will be a transformation. There'll be change that happens in our lives. Um, the dynamic of growth is somewhat mysterious. Uh, we can't just try hard to grow. Maybe you remember as a kid, and I was always a little bit shorter than my classmates. I always wanted to be a little bit taller. And uh, even putting weight on as a young kid was really hard for me. And uh, going to sleep at night, there was nothing I could really do to, to grow. I, didn't, I, I couldn't try harder. Uh, you know, getting adequate sleep and eating well and all of that, that's, that's, that's what we do. But there was a, a DNA, a genetic code that I, I was given, and it caused me to be five foot seven and a half. And uh, we, we all have our limitations. But getting up out of bed in the, mo in the morning as a kid, sometimes I would stand against that wall and kind of measure my height, as, as probably most kids did at some point, or their parents would bring it out on an annual basis to see how much they grew during the year. Growing happens automatically after we have done certain things like getting adequate rest and eating properly and taking good care of ourselves. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at spiritual growth and uh, the principles that are found in scripture that will help us best position ourselves to grow, recognizing there is a little bit of a mystery to the growth that happens, but there are some things we can do to position ourselves well for that. And we're also going to... Um, go after this idea that bigger is not always better. And sometimes, actually, frequently, Jesus seems to celebrate the small. And so we're going to take a look at um, a spirituality of small decisions. Jesus himself said in Luke's gospel, chapter 16, verse 10, he said, whoever can be trusted with very little, you can underline that, with very little, can also be trusted with much. 
And so there was a sense in which as we were faithful with the little, we would qualify ourselves in a sense to be entrusted with more. And so God really does care about the little. And Jesus draws our attention to that as well. So there's kind of like two sections to this teaching. Buckle up. We're going to take a look at a handful of different scripture passages. And uh, we're going to talk about some spiritual growth principles found in the Bible. And then we're going to go after this, um, this preconceived idea that bigger is always better. And that's just not consistent with Jesus and his teaching. So first of all, spiritual growth principles, according to scripture. Number one, growth is incremental. Um, Malcolm Gladwell in his book, David and Goliath, writes about how to become an expert at anything or to master a certain discipline requires about 10,000 hours of practice. And so for someone to play um, extremely competently on the piano, it has taken thousands and thousands, and according to to Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours to develop that proficiency of that discipline. And uh, it's also been said, and that principle, by the way, is true in athletics, in the arts, in academics. Uh, they don't just give away academic degrees, earned ones, of course. Uh, they are, they are um, achieved over time by doing your homework, one assignment at a time, one class at a time, one page of a textbook at a time. Uh, there is a series of um, immersed activities that get somebody or move somebody towards proficiency in a certain discipline. It's not just in the area of becoming an expert in academics or athletics or the arts. But that same principle holds true in developing deep and lasting friendships with people. It's actually been said before that it takes about 200 hours of having a shared experience with another person to truly build a friendship. And so the principle is that there is an investment of time needed in order to grow a lasting friendship or to become proficient and competent at a certain discipline. And this principle is true in the arena of financial uh, health or, fi or accumulating financial wealth. Um, Proverbs 13, verse 11, this is what scripture teaches. Dishonest money dwindles away. It can just kind of evaporate from you. But whoever gathers money, little by little, the scriptures say, makes it grow. It's, it's one paycheck at a time, setting aside a percentage and investing it wisely. And doing that over uh, a handful of years and decades, that's how wealth is accumulated. Sometimes people want to swing for the fences and hit a grand slam financially and only find out that they strike out more often than they hit a grand slam. And so scripture teaches little by little. It's incremental. And the root uh, word found in this concept of disciple, which is what Jesus is inviting all of us to be, he's inviting us to be learners or students of his, is this concept of discipline. And so to be a disciple of Jesus is to lead a disciplined life of following him, one foot after the other or in front of the other, following Jesus' example. And the next thing you know, you've walked hundreds and hundreds of kilometers with Jesus. And uh, so 10,000 hours to become proficient or capable and uh, 200 hours to build a friendship uh, these, these are wonderful opportunities, but God is not inviting us to place a limit over the time we spend developing a relationship with him. He wants us to give our entire life to the pursuit of knowing him. And when we do that, we can be encouraged today that growth is incremental. We may not always see it in ourselves, but others see it. So secondly, growth is environmental. Uh, Jesus tells a story of a fruitless tree and how the gardener advocates how um, not to cut the tree down, but to give a little more time and to apply a little bit of fertilizer to help cultivate the fruit. Let's look at the text in Luke 13, verses six through nine. Then Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it, but he was always disappointed. 
Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. But the gardener answered, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. And the revised, the new revised standard version calls it manure. Um, and if we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. And so Jesus is, is telling a story about how we grow and bear fruit. And it requires sometimes just applying some fertilizer. The environment really matters. Not every environment is created equal and conducive for growth. Some environments we choose, like belonging to a small group community or joining certain friendship circles or maybe even belonging to a small group at King Street Community Church, which we always encourage people to do, or gathering for worship in person or as you're doing today online. There are environments that we expose ourselves to that are conducive for growth. Not every environment is created equal. And there are some environments that just are regressive. They, they promote regression in our lives. And we want to be aware and pay careful attention to what the environment is doing to us, whether it be conversations with people or whether it just be exposure to certain entertainment or, or, or circles of influence so that we can put ourselves in an environment where we can be fruitful and where that can be cultivated. Now, some environments we choose, some environments we don't choose, like our family that we're born into, or as we looked at last week, Joseph, he was put into some very difficult environments. And all the environments of our choosing and some of our not choosing have the potential, if we see them through a redemptive lens and we're open to the spirit of Jesus in us, that we can grow even through the kinds of uh, environments that we would not choose for ourselves. Finally, as it relates to this concept of spiritual growth principles found in scripture, number three, growth is natural, supernatural, and exponential. Um, when we consider growth being natural, there is a part that we play in the process of growing. And when we think about it as being supernatural, there is a part that only God can play to grow us up. And when we think about exponential, when we line ourselves up to the ways of God, our life has the capacity to leave a wake behind it that has a rippling impact for generations to come. There can be an exponential impact from our life when we adopt kingdom ways and kingdom values and we allow God's spirit to rule and reign in our lives. Um, we can be actually really surprised with the exponential impact that we can have. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Listen for the natural, the supernatural, and the exponential. Um, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it. These are two people who chose to do things. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. There's the natural and the supernatural. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. It's God. It's his supernatural working that ultimately brings growth in our lives. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. So there is work involved in our growth and in the growth of the ministries that God has entrusted to us. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Now, Paul is writing to the Corinthians about the kingdom of God and how it is growing through the ministry of the church. But those principles can be applied as well to our own lives where we are invited to partner with God as a co-laborer or co-worker. God does what he does, we do what we do, and ultimately there's this beautiful partnership and growth emerges. Now, as it relates to the, um, 
there's this concept of the mystery around growth, and it's found in a little phrase in the New Testament that was probably helpful for us. And we, we learn it by looking at nature around us. In fact, Christian Schwartz helps us with this, whom I quoted earlier, Healthy Things Grow, Growing Things Change, in his Natural Church Development book. He talks about the all-by-itself principle, that there is inherent a life principle in the seed, so to speak. And when it is buried in the soil, there is a... Um, a growth automatism, he calls it, where all of a sudden the all-by-itself principle emerges and from the soil comes life. So this is found in Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 29. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the text says, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And so there's a sense in which there's life in the seed, but it needs to be buried first. The all by itself principle is us doing what we do by being planted in the right place and allowing God to do what God does by bringing new life. Now, Jesus himself is a wonderful example of what it means for us to um, hold out promise as it relates to the exponential um, fruitfulness from our lives. Listen to him. Uh, listen to Jesus in John 12, beginning at verse 23. Uh, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. You can underline that part. There is life in the seed, but if it dies, it gets planted in the soil and covered up. It has the potential to produce many seeds. Anyone who loves their life, Jesus says, will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And so Jesus teaches a very powerful principle consistent with this all by itself idea um, that when a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies and gets buried by the soil, a picture of Jesus himself laying down his life, being buried in the tomb, but then he rises to new life. Fruitfulness from Jesus' ministry is all the ones who put their saving faith in him, including those of you who are enjoying this YouTube channel. And so for us, we have the opportunity to be the fruitfulness of Christ and then to live the way he did by laying our life down, allowing the spirit to raise us up to new life and then living in such a way so that there can be some fruitfulness that comes off of us as well. So a spirituality of small decisions understands that growth is incremental, it's environmental, and it's also um, exponential, including both the natural and the supernatural. All right, the last section of this teaching, big is not always better. I love what Mother Teresa says, small things done with great love can change the world. Small things, small things. They don't have to be massive, big things. As human beings, we love the big, the gigantic, the headlines, the enormous. Um, Jesus and one of his followers, Mother Teresa, says that small things done with great love can change the world. Um, so again, destiny is determined by little decisions. You've probably heard this before by Ralph Waldo Emerson. He says, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. And it all begins with a thought. The quality of our thoughts about ourselves, about our neighbors, about the world around us has an impact on our destination. It all begins in the mind. Now, when a thought is lodged in our mind, um, it can easily um, take up space and become pre a preoccupation for us. And actions always start with a thought. And so thoughts ultimately lead to a destination. Uh, I actually love this. A Canadian neuropsychologist named Donald Hebb has famously um, said that neurons that fire together, wire together. 
Really what he's saying is that when we exercise repeated thoughts or thought patterns in our, in our mind, in our brain, they actually form, we could almost refer to them as ruts or, or grooves. Um, it's the uh, plasticity of the brain, the neuroplasticity of the brain. And uh, when we have a deep rut, that's what we would refer to as a, as a habit. And if it's incredibly destructive, it could form uh, an addiction. And so um, it all begins in our mind. And so Paul writes that we should really pay careful attention to our thoughts. Little things like axons and dendrites in the brain can change through repeated thinking and behaving. And so destiny is determined by little decisions and the littlest decision is the thoughts we entertain. And so I wanna encourage you to pay attention to your thoughts, not obsessing over them, but to pay attention to the quality of your thoughts. And we have the capacity to replace those thoughts with other thoughts. Now, if you've ever tried this before where you've been thinking something and say, I don't wanna think about that anymore. I don't wanna think about that anymore. I don't wanna think about that anymore. Guess what you'll be thinking about all the time is that thought. And so probably a better alternative is to try to exercise practices that would help us distract ourselves from that thought and replace those thoughts with different kinds of qualitative thoughts. So destiny is determined by little decisions. They take us somewhere. Remember, decisions are doorways. They take us somewhere. We change one choice at a time. All right, secondly, little things can trip us up. According to scripture, Growth can be compounding and regression can also be a compounding experience. Um, listen to the Song of Songs, chapter two, verse 15. It's a story of a love relationship between a man and a woman. And partway through this love narrative, um, the text says, catch for us the foxes, and underline this part, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. And so these little things can trip us up, can actually pollute a relationship, can derail a wonderful, a wonderful um, uh, trajectory of our lives. The little foxes, uh, gossip, not keeping a commitment, angry outbursts, comparing our spouse to someone else, criticizing or judging them. It's these little things that infect a relationship. In fact, in Ephesians chapter four, Paul introduces us to this idea that we can make the Holy Spirit sad or we can grieve him. And the context of grieving the Spirit is actually the way we relate to one another, our interpersonal relationships. If we speak poorly to one another or about one another, the text tells us that we actually can make the Holy Spirit sad because the Spirit wants us to be relationally connected to God and then to one another. And when that connection is interrupted, it makes the Spirit's heart sad. And so um, we want to be aware of the little things that can trip us up. All of us have an Achilles heel, something that can really impede our progress. And we wanna be aware of that. We wanna resist shame, but we wanna pay attention and be honest and deal with it. And according to Jesus, dying is a part of it where we truly allow the spirit to bury us in the soil, so to speak. And as we die to ourselves, we can be resurrected to new life. Finally, the last one is this. What is small in others' eyes can be big in God's sight. Three quick passages for you. Uh, Luke chapter 21, verses one to four. There's a woman who comes with an offering and Jesus is watching who's putting in their offerings. And as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. They're very, very small, not worth a lot of value. And truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people have given their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put, on, put in all that she had to live on. Just a little was a lot in God's eyes. 
And then in John chapter six, verse nine, Jesus is seeing a hungry crowd. And here is a boy, the text says, with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Well, we know how far they went. God, again, Jesus himself gives thanks, breaks the bread and disperses it and feeds thousands of people that day. And then finally, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42, and if anyone gives even a cup of cold water, doesn't seem like much, something small, even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple. Truly, I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. And so in God's eyes, there is such a thing as a, a spirituality of small decisions. And Jesus actually challenges the idea that big is always better. It's often not. It's in the small decisions we make that can glorify God and can cause us to bear much fruit in this world. So I wanna pray for you and then I'll give it back to our host pastors. Father, thank you again for inviting us to reconsider our decision-making. And uh, God, there has been a host of lessons we've been reminded of during these last few weeks. And today, Lord, especially, we want to challenge the idea that big decisions or big moments are always best. Sometimes they're not. And you want us to build a life of making good, helpful, small decisions that are incremental, God, as part of the transformation process that you're working in our lives. We don't always see the change that's happening, but God, we take confidence today knowing you are working and you are growing us. And so uh, in the week ahead, Lord, help us to be consciously aware that the little choices matter and help us to be aware of the little foxes that have the uh, potential to trip us up. Help us to deal deliberately and aggressively with those Achilles heels that we carry with us so that we can make progress on this journey of walking with God and advancing your kingdom in whatever way you call us to participate. So Lord, bless each and every one of my friends today. And we pray all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.